It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunders, Lee Stanley and Deanna Dikeshny. King Karatsev rules Dubai. Sasha Zverev takes Acapulco. And the Miami Open draws are set despite a host of big player withdrawals. Kim, the Miami Open is just round the corner. We've literally just had the men's draw, so we've got a lot to a lot to discuss. We've got tournaments as well. We are slightly delayed. It was my birthday at the weekend, so I afforded myself a little bit of extra time off, mainly for my birthday, but also so we could look at the men's draw, which happened this evening. Was Aslan Karatsev uh, winning to buy the best birthday present you could have hoped for, Joel? <laughs> Kim, the best birthday present I got was from you. I was so I was so amazed because I got a present during the week and I was like, I did not know who this was from. And then when I opened it on uh when I opened it on Saturday and it was from you and I read the card and it was it was so it was so heartwarming and I was so I was so happy to receive it. Heartwarming. Well, Joel, I have to put up with you every week doing this. So the least <laughs> I could do was send you some beers in the post, seeing as you can't get to the pub. That um, is very true. But, and also, you are still in your 20s, I believe, because lockdown birthdays don't count. And this is your second one. So that's something else to celebrate. I'm in total denial about turning 31. So yeah, I think that's the that's the best approach to have, just literally not thinking about the fact that I've been in that unlucky group of people who have had two lockdown birthdays in, in the UK. Oh dear. Anyway, let's get on to the tennis. As we said... We should move on very quickly. <laughs> not dwelling on Joel's age. Um, yeah, so we've had lots of tennis as per... Where should we start? Acapulco, Joel? How about a bit of Acapulco? Let's go let's go loco down in Acapulco, as, <laughs> as the saying goes. <laughs> um, so we had the ATP 500 event. This kind of went very according to plan in the final. Um, well, we had the top two seeds, uh, Sitspas and Zverev. Um, you know, they've met quite a few times now. And Zverev came out on top this time around, 6-4-7-6. Slightly unexpected semi-finalists, though, I would say, uh, which is probably perhaps the most interesting take-home from the week, uh, especially Lorenzo Massetti making his way through to uh, to the semi-finals. And on the other side, Dominic Kurtfer. Uh, I don't think anyone had that name uh, on their radar coming into this event. Yeah, it was a, like a bit of a mix of kind of familiarity and, un- mm. and unfamiliarity. I mean, the final itself, I think I watched some of the highlights. It was a real it was a real entertaining match that Zverev kind of came out on top of. It really ebbed and flowed. There were big kind of momentum changes. I'm still not really sure how Sissipas lost that first set. I think he was 4-1 up and had, I think he had three points for 5-1 and Zverev came back into it. And I think that first set really, I think, for me was the the mark of how much Zverev has kind of improved in in terms of maturing I think on on the tour in that he didn't let that set get away from him despite the you know what it looked like on the scoreline and again in that second set he was just able to kind of win the big points uh, or play the big points better particularly in the the tie break and it was such a fun match to watch because I think you know We've 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 spoken about the rivalry between Zverev and Sissipas for you know I feel like a long time now and you know we've had other players kind of come into the fore like Medvedev like Rublev and I think this was a little bit of a reminder of actually these are like the you know these are like the two OGs of the the next gen you know when they, it was kind of talked about originally and it was kind of good to see them kind of put on a real show um, that pleased the you know pleased the fans in Acapulco because I I did think it was a really fun final to watch. I just think Acapulco is such a fun tournament and I think it really lived up. It really lived up to expectation. 
Oh, definitely. But Joel, what, what's an OG? I, I, I mean, is it just me or maybe listeners are also wondering what an OG is? Original gangster. Oh, is that a sporting term? Yeah, it's not really a sporting term, but essentially they're like, you know, they're like the originals. And oh, okay. it was a good reminder, I think, of, you know, two of the kind of stalwarts, I think, of that sort of up and coming generation that was kind of set a few years ago. I mean, Zverev is still very young and yeah, it feels like he's been on the, the tour forever. And I think Sissipas is sort of in a, in a similar situation. So um, that's that's kind of what I meant by it. I think Zverev might prefer the term original gangster because he kind of came out in the media to say he's sort of sick of being called a next genner. You know, he's he's established. He's been on the tour for years. He's, you know, proven to some extent that he obviously deserves to be there reaching a Grand Slam final. He's he's won the ATP finals, etc. He's won Masters events. So I think he's kind of made the point that like, I don't really want to have to have that tag on me anymore and I think in a way that that's true because people like Musetti uh they are the next gen now you know it's it's moved on we need to kind of rebrand uh certain players on the tour I suppose and Sitspas would be another another one who probably yeah is no longer next gen and is very much now and he's been having a, a good season obviously lost in the in the final in Acapulco but still a very decent um decent performances he hasn't actually ever won a 500 uh or or masters level event yet um he's been in quite a few of those finals but is zero and six on on 500s which is interesting I didn't realize he had such a poor conversion record at at that kind of level of tournament there's something there about his his finals record um that is not um you know he he will obviously want to kind of put right because you know he's playing i think great tennis at the moment and getting to kind of the you know the latter stages of the tournaments he is entering but when it comes to kind of the big final showdown um you know particularly in the more high profile tournaments it's not really doing he's not really doing well i mean he's 0 and 6 in 500 0 and 2 in Masters finals. And if you compare that to his record at 250s, where he's 4-0, um, there's a real kind of stark kind of comparison there. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this final, I mean, you could look at it, arguably got away from him. The, you know, that first set really was quite pivotal and he will be kind of really kicking himself the fact that, you know, being 4-1 up, had chances to go 5-1. Um, and he wasn't able to kind of win that set and, and Zverev almost kind of stole it. And I think, you know, in some regards, he almost sort of stole the, the second set as well. So I think Sissipas, again, there will be, you know, he will kind of look at his game and I think realise that when he gets to finals, you know, he, he needs to, you know, he needs to step it up. And, you know, he's not, I don't think he's doing that at the moment on the on the biggest stages. Mm, no, for sure. He'll hopefully be able to improve on that in, in Miami, but we'll get onto that later on. So, Joel, what did you make of Lorenzo Massetti this week? Because, you know, this is a very young Italian player. He's only 19 years of age, I believe. And this was only his fourth ATP main draw. He's gone through to the semi-finals. He's had his first win over a top 10 player, beating Diego Schwartzman. He is now um, in the top 100 as well, um, you know, making waves on the tour. Like we already had him on our radar, on our radar, you know, he had that win over Stan last year, which I think kind of really put him on the map. But like, where do you see him going from now on? Like, is he, is he a real prospect to to Mm. watch? Is this the start of something? It's really great. I mean, for Italian tennis, it's absolutely unbelievable. Musetti and Yannick Sinner, who's obviously been making ways of his own this season. They have been really, really impressive. And Musetti this week was just, um, yeah, it was just really great to watch. I really love his single-handed backhand. It reminds me a lot of kind of Richard Gasquet's backhand. And um, you know, I think there are some comparisons there, particularly, I think, in the way that Gasquet kind of broke onto the scene. I think arguably Musetti is doing it in, in a similar sort of way. And, uh, you know, uh, there will be people out there who, you know, think will think that Musetti's got, you know, really big career ahead of him and he will need to make sure that, you know, he can kind of follow through on all that talent that we're kind of seeing on the court at the moment because he's 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 put out some some wins that have been very, very impressive. I mean to get to the semi finals, you know, defeating Dimitrov, uh he defeated 
Francis TFO. Francis TFO actually did the one of the biggest racket smashes I've ever seen <laughs> um, on Match Point, I think. So if you, yeah, I mean, which you don't often see actually from TFO. So, I mean, he beat TFO, Schwartzman, really, really impressive to come through qualifying um, and, and do that. And yeah, I think he and Sinner, I think, will, are going to be, you know, that could be a friendly rivalry for the future. You know, both Italians, both on the on the up. And I can genuinely see both of them, you know, reaching, you know, the top 10 in their, you know, in their um, career rankings at the same time. And they could real, really be, I think, a backbone for, for Italian tennis in the future. They'll be like the Henman and Rosetsky yes. of Italian <laughs> tennis going forwards. <laughs> um, yeah, because Sinner obviously is, is, well, I think it's about seven months older. Um, I mean, who, whose game do you actually think mm. has the potential out of the two of them to go further to, to win slams, perhaps? Like, I think Massetti's game is actually a little bit more varied from what I've seen kind of this week. Um, and I think maybe um sinner i think sinner still has a bit more work to do kind of physically and kind of bulk out a bit more whereas i look at kind of Massetti's game i think it's a little bit more complete i still think there's work to do i think although his backhand's really good i still think there's sort of an area for improvement on his forehand but you know they're both excellent prospects and you know i don't you just hope that you know they're not sort of peaking too early and you know i think their teams will be i think aware of that and you know not believing this sort of hype too soon mm. and i think that will be the next sort of challenge for them obviously there will be kind of you know goals they have in terms of rankings and, and tournaments and stuff like that but i think you know looking at in the context of their careers i think for both of them there's so much kind of hype around them at the moment that I think they'll be doing well not to kind of read too much into that and just keep focusing on their game because they both have such great styles of tennis to, you know, to watch as a fan. No, I completely agree. Yeah. It's very, very wise of them to avoid all the, all the hype and just focus on improving their game and getting on with it. Um, yeah. Acapulco, Joel, we also had some good, good news for, for British players. I mean, Cam Norrie got to the quarters in the singles, uh, which was great, but we had a British doubles, uh, pair winning the title. So we had the Skupski brothers, uh, winning their first ATP 500 title together, um, and their third title overall on the tour, uh, which is quite funny, really, because they've re- united again you know started playing with each other after you know neil skupski was kind of dropped by jamie murray and you know lo and behold en route to uh to the title they 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 beat murray and, and suarez they beat um joe salisbury and rajiv ram so winning over fellow you know british players and and yeah coming through uh to upset the top seeds in the uh in the final as well so fantastic week for them that must have felt so good to beat uh, Murray and Suarez. Or may- maybe they wouldn't have say- expressed it uh, outwardly, but, you know, because of the, you know, I think the situation that kind of transpired kind of last, you know, at the end of last season with, you know, Bruno Suarez becoming available, Jamie Murray deciding to go back there um, and, and, cu- and you know, and the Scupsy brothers reuniting. They both, everyone seems to be doing really well at the moment and it was just fantastic to see. You could see how much it meant to them um, after match point. There was a little kind of pat on the back and you could tell that they were absolutely kind of ecstatic for that win. Um, it's, it's really, really impressive. And, you know, as always, um, British doubles at the moment seems to be in absolutely rude health. And, you know, when it comes to kind of Davis Cup times, there's going to be no, no short of options. And, you know, arguably with the Skupskis, because they are an all British pairing, they might be the number one, you know, arguably you, you could make an argument that, you know, they, they would be maybe if they could keep this up, but the, you know, the number one uh, pairing given, you know, that they play, play with each other week in, week out. I agree. I think it's quite a difficult choice. It's, it reminds me of who do I put in my fantasy football team each week? I think I've got <laughs> such a good squad. I don't know who to keep on the bench, who to play. Um, yeah, Leon Smith's going to have a bit of a headache with that one, perhaps. Um, interestingly, Joel, I mentioned Dominic Kurtfer earlier. Um, he got to the semi-finals, played Sasha Zverev, lost to Sasha Zverev, of course. Uh, but perhaps uh, the more interesting thing to come out of that match was that there was an earthquake in the middle of it, uh, which is not something you have happening every day when you're out playing tennis. Uh, but yeah, there was a 5.7 magnitude earthquake uh, whilst Dominic Kurtfer was serving in the first game of the second set. Um, there were tremors that went around the stadium. I mean, how bizarre. The more bizarre thing I thought than that happening was an earthquake happening and them not playing a let. I love that they just sort of just 
continued playing um the umpire didn't really know what to do and yeah it was just the, it was a little kind of rattle on the camera and yeah it turned out to be an earthquake i mean i've, you ne- I've never seen anything like that um apparently they are i think quite common in Acapulco but uh yeah to have it happen during the match I think if I was in in Zverev or Kurt shoes, I've been I would have been bricking it a little bit well whoever lost the point I would have been like uh hello there were there was an earthquake, <laughs> was an earthquake. we need to replay the point you know <laughs> but I guess they were so focused they probably just like you know even an earthquake didn't disrupt their focus I would have loved to have the umpire say into his microphone uh let earthquake <laughs> or, something, or something like that it would just been it would just be very surreal yeah i think kurtford was the player that um when he was playing team at roland garros there's a massive like fighter jet going past so he must be like oh, yes. what is going on when i play tennis against <laughs> these top guys i mean what what's next you know a hailstorm all of a sudden or a tornado who knows um yeah all these natural hazards going on but um yeah so we have well, let's move on to to uh dubai now joel um Let's let's go to a different uh, continent, different tournament. Another 500 event, though, for the men. And this was an interesting uh, event because I think I think we got a final that no one expected, um, to be quite honest with you. Aslan Karatsev versus Lloyd Harris. And yeah, Aslan Karatsev, his incredible season is carrying on. You know, Australian Open semi-finalist. Now, you know, ATP titleist. Uh, he came through against Lloyd Harris, 6-3, 6-2. This is his first career title and pretty decent one to start off with, you know, an ATP 500 event. Um, he's now going to be in the top 30. I, I can't believe it. I thought his semi-final was kind of going to be a bit of a one-off, which I know sounds a bit harsh, but, you know, we've seen that before. And, and maybe maybe it's not, Joel. Maybe it's not. I mean, this was, again, I think in comparison to Acapulco, this was a complete opposite in terms of the, the final we got. Lloyd Harris versus Aslan Karatsev. That is a qualifier versus a wildcard, which I think has only happened. Um, I think that was the seventh time that has ever happened on the, the ATP tour um, ever. So you can see that was quite, quite a rarity. And, um, you know, Karatsev really enjoying a good good run at the tournament really making the most of that wild card and you know coming through he beat rublev he stopped the rublev streak in the semi-finals he beat yannick sinner as well in the quarterfinals i mean it was it was impressive and i think the most impressive thing about it was you know it, it didn't feel like that's grand slam semi-final in, in australia was a flash in the pan although many people might have thought it he's really kind of backing it up and you know, it's, it's just so, it's just so impressive. And the fact that he's done this as a 27 year old, you know, we have, I think we have players who kind of come out and peak, you know, early on in their career. We, I feel like we very rarely see it happen sort of languishing or, you know, playing at the challenger level for, you know, X number of years and then making the big breakthrough. But Karatsev seems to be one of these individuals and he's really kind of making the most of it at the moment. Yeah, it's um, it's really very impressive, very refreshing as well, because like you said, it doesn't happen very often. It's just it is really nice, like genuinely nice to see someone just on a really good run of form. And, you know, he's 15 and 0 against players ranked outside the top four. And, you know, he's only lost two matches this whole this whole season. So, um, I mean, is he one of, you know, he's one to watch, I suppose, in going into Miami. You can't rule him out based on that form. I mean, he's he's a known quantity now, but he's also an unknown quantity. And I think what's kind of given him an advantage at the moment is the fact that, you know, because he's kind of burst on, I don't think a lot of the players he's coming up against know really how to play his sort of game. Um, you know, just kind of watching him, he, I think he likes to kind of sort of play closer to the baseline. He fits, a, I think he hits a very kind of uncomplicated ball and it's, um, you know, he likes to hit on the up and... Yeah, I just think a lot of people just don't really know how to deal with that. And even kind of Rublev in that semi-final, even though I think kind of has a similar sort of game, likes to be close to that baseline, Kratsev's power, the power he's able to generate, I mean, it was still on another level to Rublev, which is really kind of saying something, but his, I feel like his stock ball has a lot more KPH than a lot of players' kind of mm. typical stock ball. And that's what makes him so kind of hard to handle and hard to I guess figure out and you know there's probably going to be times when he's not going to be able to keep up that level 
you know, th- you know, throughout, and maybe he'll hit a lot of unforced errors. But at the moment, he's playing really kind of controlled aggression and is doing absolutely kind of wonders for his tour. And I think, I think Kim is safe to say that the most most improved player at the end of the season, I think Karatsev has already already got it, got it sewn up. Yeah, that that award has definitely, I think, got his name written all over it right now. <laughs> Unless someone else can come along and try and beat that. Um, but yeah, he beat Dan Evans as well in the second round. So it would have been interesting to see if, you know, Dan could have, like what he could have done had he not come up against Karatsev. But that's like not a bad uh, result having lost to him and, you know, the eventual champion. And let's just talk about Lloyd Harris, Joel, because he, as you said, was a qualifier and... I mean, we've we've kind of heard about him. We've seen bits of him. Don't know him too well. I just know him for his kind of quite ru- unruly hair, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, first qualifier to actually reach a semi-final um, or a final in in the history of this tournament. Obviously, he was looking for his first title, as was Karatsev. Um, what did you make of Lloyd Harris this week? Because he beat Dominic Team uh, in the second round, which raised a few eyebrows I know team hasn't had the greatest start to the season but you know Lloyd Harris put together a good run of form this week making it through to the final beating Shapovalov in a very uh long semi-final as well so yeah what do, what do you make of him is is he is he one to watch as well again very impressive this week you know I think he's definitely the we've spoken about him as like the new hope I think for kind of South African tennis you know taking over the mantle from Kevin Anderson and I think you know based on this week anyway he's he's definitely got that in his locker um when you look at the results he had I mean he defeated Dominic team in straight sets Kei Nishikuri he was able to kind of back up pretty big wins and just kind of continue through all the way through to the final. I will say with that Dominic team victory, I, I, I do think with qualifying at the moment, the way it, it's kind of set up that I do think players who come through qualifying, who have able to have a few matches before going into the main draw, I think are, are, are at the moment, I feel like they're in a big, big, big advantage when you're coming up against someone who who's seeded and has had a bye and has had little to kind of no time already. I do think they have a little bit of an an edge and maybe that is why, um, you know, he was able to kind of start so well, um, you know, against him and and really kind of come through that. But I definitely think, yeah, he's, uh, he's one to watch for the future and, um, is has been had an impressive week. I don't, I don't know if he needs a haircut. I quite like the, the long kind of, flowing locks but I feel like they're going to be deeply polarizing in the uh, the tennis community yeah I um I mean w- why not he can do what he likes with his hair it's, <laughs> it makes him easy to identify you'll be like turn on the tv oh that's Lloyd Harris that is um but yeah Dominic team he's pulled out of Miami he's going to focus on the clay um which is probably sensible I suppose um why bother going all the way over to Miami when you're probably not feeling in the best of shape and not having much motivation, perhaps struggling with the way that tournaments are, you know, have changed as a result of COVID. Um, so I hope that, you know, his kind of lack of form doesn't last too long. Um, it, it might also be an, an inevitable, I guess, an inevitable after you know, winning your first slam, there's, there is that kind of added pressure. He's on a bit of a come down, I feel, at the moment mm. from that high of winning, you know, his first, his first, uh, his his first Grand Slam at the US Open last season. Because, you know, up till now in this season, um, yeah, I think he's only only five and four on the on the tour. Um, you know, probably would have expected to do a lot better. Um, you know, at the, at the Australian Open and you know the the tournaments afterwards. So I do feel like he needs a little bit of a reset. And I think he's almost kind of glad that the clay court season is just around the corner. I think that was probably one of the reasons he's just kind of dropped out of Miami, didn't fancy making that trip and wants to be as ready as possible for the clay season, because that is a, you know, a part of the season that is going to, you know, in his eyes will be one of his most productive parts. So I think he needs to go away and think about, you know, what, what it is that, you know, made him so formidable last year, because I don't think he's playing at that level at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we shall see as it comes onto the clay. Obviously, Rafa doing something very similar, not bothering to to play Miami, just focus on the clay. And you'd have to, yeah, you can can see why, I suppose, him and team, you know, the 
probably the top two clay quarters. So um, let's go on to the women's events from the last week. Uh, St. Petersburg uh, out in Russia. This is a very Russian dominated event. Uh, we had an all Russian final. We had an all Russian semi-finals. I think seven of the eight quarterfinalists yeah. are Russian. So <laughs> any Russian listeners out there, any Russian tennis fans must have been, you know, in, in on cloud nine. This is great. Um, interestingly, though, Joel, it's the very it is the first all Russian semi-final lineup in WTA history, which surprises me because there have been quite a lot of Russian players. Like they have a very deep, um, you know, women's tennis scene. I'm surprised that hadn't already happened. We were so close, weren't we, to a Zvonareva Kuznetsova final, which would have which would have thrown us way back in time, I think, to about circa 2005. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't to be. I think, or despite the number of Russians that were in the draw, I think arguably, you know, we were a little bit surprised in terms of who we got in the final. I mean, Kasatkina, again, she, you know, has been, I think, very much on the comeback trial, I think. I think she's found her, I think she's actually found her mojo over the last, um, you know, <laughs> since the Australian Open. I think she did well in the Phillips Island Trophy after Melbourne. And yeah, I think she's just got her confidence back. And I think that kind of just showed really all throughout the week. I know she had a bit of a weird scoreline against Kuznets over in that semi-final. I mean, one six six love six two, bit of an odd one. But yeah, to come up against Gasparian in the final it was a bit of a shame that she had to retire, I think, because of a back injury in that second set. But um yeah, Kasatkina is just I think I think I don't think her game's changed much. I just think that she's just added she's just found a bit more belief and a bit more confidence. And I think that's been the difference. Yeah, because um she wasn't up into the top ten back in twenty eighteen mm. and then had a big slump and she's now kind of yeah, making her way back up the rankings. She's she's now back into the top 50. Uh, this is her second title of the year. Um, she's also won both WTA 500 events that take place in Russia. So previously she won Moscow a few years ago, now having won St. Petersburg. Um, I think she's actually the first player to, to win both of those events. So um, yeah, it's good to see her on the way up. Margarita Gasparian, not going to lie, don't know an awful lot about her. So um, it is a shame that she wasn't able to actually fully compete in in that final. She was she was hampered by an injury, um, but she uh, that was that was her first WTA 500 final. She has um, previously been up to 41 in the world, so she's kind of back. She's now outside the top hundred. So again, she's sort of on her way back up, hopefully, to where she she has been. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, as Von Araver in that semi-final as well, she was trying to become the first, uh, well, trying to reach her first final since 2011. So that's 10 years ago. So that would have been, you know, some, that would have been going going some to kind of, to, to go all the way and, you know, get to another final. But yeah, she's 36 and still going reasonably strong and, and doing well. So yeah, it was nice to see her get to it the latter stage of a, of a WTA event again. Yeah, definitely. And then we had Monterey in, in Mexico, which finished last night. I think Leila Adi Fernandez is on a really quick turnover to get to Miami and I think playing qualifying um, there. But um, yeah, she came through 6-1, 6-4 against uh, qualifier Victoria Goljevic. Um, I mean, I think Fernandez, I think similar to, to Massetti, I, I, she's been on my radar, I think, quite, you know, for quite a while. Um, but I think it's, it, what's, what's so, I think, special about her is, is how young she is in terms of kind of breaking onto the, the tour. I think she's only, you know, 18 years old. She was the youngest player in, uh, the main draw at, at Monterey. But, um, yeah, really, really impressive stuff. She didn't drop a set the whole week. Very mature perf- performance. And, you know, she was coming up against, um, you know, players in some really good form, like Cerebez Tormo in the semi-final. And, you know, she was looking like the, you know, the, the experienced veteran, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, really, really, really good performance from her. Yeah, and uh, Golubic is, is in good form as well because she reached the final in Lyon a couple of weeks ago. So uh, as a qualifier, again, she, she's reached two finals. So uh, she's in great form at the moment, as was Cerebos Tormo. So yeah, Fernandez beating other in-form players. And I think she loves playing in Mexico because she reached the Acapulco final last year, I think losing to Heather Watson. Um, so she's, you know, she's, uh, she's um, 
doing she loves playing in Mexico what am I saying <laughs> <laughs> and obviously she plays doubles with with Heather Watson I think they're playing together at the Australian Open so um obviously quite good mates with, with Heather but um also nice to see Anne Lee make the semi-finals um Anne Lee if, if people remember was one of the, the joint winners of uh the one of the pre-AO summer series events uh, she shared that title with Annette Contivate so uh yeah nice to see her kind of good form continuing as well she's another young up-and-coming um north american i'd just say actually leila annie fernandez i i i did watch some highlights i think that what she's worked on the most over the last well it it looks like anyway since kind of over lockdown maybe is her like her physical game feel like she's beefed up a little bit i know she's only 18 years old and you know that might come with time but i feel like she's added a little bit more power to her game and that's making her a little bit more of a handful um compared to i think you know a, a, you know season or two ago but um she's definitely one for the the future and again one of these players who i think we're talking about in terms of another potential top 10 in the future i mean canadian tennis canadian women's tennis is is a bit like italian men's tennis at the moment i think and later annie fernandez has certainly added herself into that into that group of players i think alongside andrescu I mean, Eugenie Bouchard's had good form of late as well. It's a really kind of good mix there, I think, they've got at the moment. Yeah, for sure. And we had a few Brits as well, Joel. Harriet Dark came in as a lucky loser, beat Heather Watson in the first round, mm. um, then lost to Kuzmova. But um, yeah, nice to see Harriet getting into a main draw. And yeah, Katie Balter as well, lost, kind of got whipped by Schmiedlever, but nice to see some Brits in action as well. Um, I think we're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be looking at the men's and women's draws in Miami, as well as all the latest updates from Wimbledon. So see you in a moment. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And before we get on to previewing uh, the Miami Masters, Joel, I think you've got a mysterious player for me. Is that right? I've got a mysterious player for you all with the buzz sounds as well. We've had a lot of feedback. About the the sounds, uh, either people. My friends have basically been messaging on WhatsApp saying they love the game show buzzer sounds. So I think they're going to be in uh, for the future. So uh, yeah, there will be more buzzer sounds. So uh, Kim, are you ready? You ready for your mysterious player this week? I am indeed. Okay, so my first clue is: I was born on the December twenty eighth, nineteen seventy nine. Oh, a bit of maths to keep my brain awake. Um, 79, 79. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they are 41. Any, 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 any guesses? Oh, uh, sorry, no. <laughs> that's, that's, it's too wide a pool, Joel. Okay, okay. Me to make a right. guess on that. <laughs> I have been the American number one. Hmm. How old is Lindsay Davenport? Would she be older than 41? Because she's slightly earlier than the Serena era, isn't she? So probably not. Well, I'll say her. Lindsay Davenport. (laughs) Incorrect. It's Uh, not Lindsay Davenport. Um, No. My best singles Grand Slam achievement was the quarterfinals at the Australian Open in 2007 and the US Open in 2005 and 2006. Right. Okay. So (laughs) ruling out some of the other people I had in mind. Um, (laughs) Probably more of a doubles player then perhaps if you're emphasizing singles, but then fairly decent to get to the quarters. So American doubles players aged 41. (laughs) Is it Lisa Raymond? incorrect it's not lisa raymond that's a good shout but it's that's that's not the right answer okay next clue i have reached a career high atp ranking of world number four oh okay why was i thinking it was like a female (laughs) uh lisa raymond uh okay american man world number four only quarters in singles though I feel like that could have narrowed it down quite a bit. But... Oh, I've had a thought. Okay. Is it James Blake? 
Correct. It yeah. is James Blake. Yes. Um, yeah, it was James Blake. Uh, he was, he popped into my head for some reason and I was like, he had quite an interesting career. So I went with James Blake. He had a horrendous injury, didn't he? Sort mm. of, uh, he broke his neck, like hitting, he ran into the, the post. post and broke his neck. I mean, that's awful. He horrendous. also, he also, uh, beat. Roger Federer at the Olympics in 2008 before mm. losing to Novak Djokovic in the bronze medal game um, was one of my other clues. Um, his autobiography is titled Breaking Back, How I Lost Everything and Won Back My Life. That's a very dramatic headline, isn't I know, it? I know. <laughs> Classic autobiography, uh, you know, spiel. But um, no, I think that'd be an interesting read. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was James Blake. So, yeah, I think that was pretty, that was pretty quick, actually. So I'm pretty impressed you got that. Well, I was going down a very different route to begin with. If you hadn't <laughs> said ATP, I would have been, I was going to move on to the Jill Crabasses of the world. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Anyway, back to the tennis. Uh, we're not doing a mailbag this week. We're going to go straight on to the Miami draws, um, which, you know, because there's so much to talk about. Um, although, Quite different draws, I think. You know, the women's draw, um, there's a, a, most of the top players are there, bar Serena Williams, who has had oral surgery, um, which I think means something to do with her teeth. Uh, but on the men's side, we have none of the big three there, which is the first time that's happened at a Masters event since 2004. Um, and 31 of the top 100 are actually not playing. So... Yeah, quite a, a drop in in the usual. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say caliber because that sounds really harsh, but um, there's been a lot of jokes going around basically on social media that anyone who's anyone could could start and you know play play the Miami Open. <laughs> yeah, the men's draw has been completely decimated, hasn't it? And I think there's a lot of kind of factors at play here. And um, you know, I I don't think it's I don't think you can just say it's you know, it's bad luck. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it goes a lot deeper than that. And I think, you know, there's things like, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a reduction in prize money, the fact that, you know, there's only one tournament. It's not part of a double. There's no kind of Indian Wells. And, you know, the fact it is cl- so close to kind of the Clases, And I think some of the players who are, you know, playing in Europe uh, or even the Middle East, um, you know, they don't fancy going over to another continent just to, you know, just to play one more tournament and, you know, going back into, you know, a sort of bubble kind of setup, you know, that's, that's not for them. And as a result of that, a lot of the players are just like, you know, this isn't for me and I kind of sort of agree with them. Um, but I think what's made it interesting is that that, that Miami men's field, particularly, it just feels so open and it looks like a draw that could be made probably in, you know, in a few years time, given the fact that, you know, the big three aren't going to be there. Yeah, I was thinking that because the top four seeds are um, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev and Rublev. And OK, Dominic team would, would be in there in a few years time. But, you know, there's no Federer, no Djokovic, no Nadal. There is Andy Murray, um, obviously, as he's got a wild card. So that's sort of something. But yeah, it, it is quite creepy in a way. Not creepy, but, you know, it's sort of like a sign of the future, isn't it? And um, But I mean, it's still a great field uh, and they are still top players. But yeah, there's obviously for me as a Rafa fan, I'm I'm always more uh, engaged somewhat when Rafa's in the draw, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's still still enough to get our teeth into for sure. I mean, it's I'm I'm more interested, I suppose, in players that aren't those top four seeds, such as Aslan Karatsev. Like this is his first ever Masters. What is he going to do? Um, and I'm obviously, of course, interested in how Andy's going to get on. Jack Draper. You know, young British player. He's got a wild card as well, um, which is is great. Um, so those sorts of things, those sorts of stories, I'm looking for. You know, Dan Evans. He could be playing Medvedev fourth round if he gets there. That that would be uh, an interesting encounter. So, well, what have you got your eye on, Joel? We're looking just kind of having a look at the draw. Yeah, I mean, I am looking at Karatsev as like the biggest interesting story because I mean he's seeded. 17 um he's in i think a quite a nice section of the draw he's got players around him he's beaten uh you know recently he could i think face rublev uh in the quarterfinals um but i'm just interested to see how 
you know, how long he can keep this going for. Um, because, um, you know, he's done so, you know, he's done so well. He's made such a dramatic, you know, entrance onto the ATP tour at 27 years old. I'm curious to see how, you know, how long he can keep a good thing going. And, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how kind of he gets on. Um, I'm interested also to see how, particularly in the top half, I think with Medvedev, and, and Zverev in that top half. I'm, I'm curious to see if they will both sort of uh, continue their good form. Um, I feel like there's a lot of players who are here in good form on hard courts. And I think the question will be, can they, you know, reach, uh, you know, quarterfinals or, or semifinals? And, you know, looking at that top half, I mean, Medvedev, Zverev, uh, you know, Bublik and Fritz could be quite, you know, quite dangerous in that, that bottom, in that second quarter. I think that second quarter actually is quite open. Um, you've got Yannick Sinner, Kachinov, Dimitrov. There's all a bit of a, you know, there's all a bit of a um, coming together, I think, of sort of the chasing pack there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who get through and, and navigate all of these, all of these challenges. Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, Medvedev has won the title recently in Marseille. You know, Zverev just won in Acapulco. Mm. Rublev obviously has, has won a couple of 500s um, and Sitspas as well, making the final in Acapulco. They're, they are all in good form. So I've kind of, when making tentative predictions, gone very much with the, the top seeds. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if... Felix Auger Aliassime or even Dan Evans or RBA, you know, one of those players comes through and makes a semi. Uh, wouldn't put it past any of them. You know, Yannick Sinner, like you said, it is still um, more open than than if we did have, you know, the likes of Djokovic there. I mean, and, and Andy Murray, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> I, was I think you were about to say, to say that. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Not a great draw. Lloyd no. Harris, first round. Who's no. I mean, I watched after you as soon as I saw that. Yeah. And I was a bit like, I was a bit, I was a bit disappointed because, yeah, that's a, I think that's a tough draw. I mean, yes, Lloyd Harris could be a bit tired, um, you know, having to make that flight after, you know, reaching the final in Dubai. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's not great. And even if he kind of comes through that, could play Bautista Agut, who's definitely going to be fresh um, in the second round. Um, very, I think, tough start for him. And, um, you know, it's, I think, been a tough, you know, in terms of the, the matchups he's had, um, you know, in his first and second rounds of the tournaments he has come back in, it's just been very tough and very uncompromising. And I just think this is a continuing, this is a continuation of that. And it's, it's just the, you know, it, it's the real, it's, you know, for Andy Murray fans, it's a sort of realization that, you know, it, there are no easy games on on the tour, and you know, even in a really big draw like you know Miami, he's still getting Lloyd Harris in round one. You know, he's going to have to bring his he's going to have to bring his A game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it was a Grand Slam, you know, you could get anyone. If you're if you're not seeded, then there's absolutely no mm. guarantee. So it's a a lottery, isn't it? At the end of the day, and um, yeah, we we'll have to see. I mean, there's some other interesting wild cards in there. Like I said, Jack Draper. You've also got Carlos Alcaraz, of course, the young Spaniard. Uh, Hugo Gaston of French Open fame is in there, uh, which is fun. I wonder if he's going to throw in some drop shots as he did back on the on the clay. But um, yeah, I think Bassetti as well in for a, a good chance of maybe getting to like the fourth round. He's got a decent enough draw. Um, so yeah, I think he's in the Benoit pair sort of area of the draw i think he's definitely got a good chance i definitely could see Massetti uh cause an upset against pair in that second round if he comes through michael mo in in the first round um Fuchovic has been playing well could play rublev uh i think rublev though has got a bit of his got his number so um yeah we will we will see him we will see we will indeed and uh, as for the women like we've got everyone there except Serena pretty much. You know, Asaka's back in action. Ash Barty is the top seed. This is her first tournament that she's played outside of Australia since the pandemic began. Um, you know, still the number one seed. Well, still, yeah, much to some people's <laughs> dismay, I suppose, or, you know, well, she'll have to prove that she deserves it, won't she? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, literally everyone is there. Like Halep is back as well. Um, obviously, Shriontek, Azarenka. You know, the list goes on uh, as it does with women's tennis where the depth is so strong. I mean, if we look at the, um, you know, the, the seedings and, and such like, I mean, let's take, for example, Ash Barty, top seed. She's going to come up against Azarenka potentially in that fourth round. So, I mean, do you see Barty going beyond that? Uh, I, I'd have no. to 
go with Azarenka no. for that one. <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't think Barty's going to... I don't think Barty well, has arrived, will have arrived here in any... Well, in no form. She's you know She didn't play in any of the, the Middle East. She's sort of been recuperating, I think, from an injury. So, you know, to come in... Yes, she's got a qualifier in her opening match, but, you know, to come up against Azarenka and then potentially, Sa- you know, Sabalenka... Um, and who I think both those players, he's not really got very good records against. Um, yeah, I don't, I can't see her. I can't really see her progressing that far. I think Azarenka and Sabalenka in those, in that sort of top quarter for me are probably the, you know, the mm. names to look out for. But, but even having said that, I mean, Azarenka, maybe there's a little bit of a fitness doubt there. Sabalenka's, you know, we, we, I mean, you know, at the start of the season, we were all talking about the Sabalenka streak, but she seems to be blowing more cold than hot, um, you know, in her last, in her last few tournaments as well. So that top quarter feels it could go, you know, it feel, it, it does feel a little bit up for grabs, I think. Yeah, and then the second quarter, you've got Hallett bleeding that one, but you've also got mm. the likes of Iga Svantec in there. And funnily enough, they could meet yet again in a fourth round. So um, Hallett must look at the draw and be like, <laughs> for crying out loud, why she, her again? She must look at it like Coco Goff looks at it like, where's Jill Teichman in the draw? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, they are for once on opposite sides, so there won't be any Teichman-Goff uh, antics. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Svitolina in that section, but she hasn't had a very good run of late. I wouldn't expect her to do that well she sort of seems to have gone off off the boil a bit um Coco Goff also in there Kvitova Joe Conta literally don't know what to expect from Joe uh mm. she's got an all right first round Lynette or Mon- Montgomery who I who I don't know could face Kvitova in round th- and f- yeah. round three obviously Kvitova in really good form um winning in Dubai um maybe has a little bit of injury doubts but I don't I think she I think that was just a bit more precaution than anything so uh, yeah, I mean, just talking on Svitolina, she could play Shel- she could play Shelby Rogers in the second round, and I think that's a very, I mean, that's a very tough, I think, match kind of first up for Svitolina, um, and then you know Podoroska's in there as well, so I think Svitolina, I'll be impressed if she can kind of get through that and and you know get through to the qu- even to the the quarterfinals, but you think certainly I think in in that bottom uh, in that second quarter, um, you know. The, the the bottom bit of the top half. Um, yeah, I think Halep, Madison Keys. Who knows? Madison Keys, Igor Sviontek, third round. That could be that could be quite tasty. Yeah, tasty matches from the word go with the women's draw. I have to say. Um, and then in the second, in the bottom half, we've got um, Osaka. Obviously, is the second seed uh, headlining that. But you have got the return of Sophia Kennan. This would be her first tournament after having the appendix appendix removal surgery oh, um, yes. in Australia. Um, Andreescu is here, so another chance to see how she's going to get on. You know, in a in a loaded draw. Obviously, she managed to kind of get to the semis in the Phillip Island trophy. So, but probably still not uh, maybe at the level that she needs to be, but this will be an absolutely fantastic, you know, chance for us to see how, how she is matching up. Um, Jen Brady as well. She has lost, I think all her matches since um, making the AO final. So, I don't know how well she's going to get on here. She may have Cerebe's Tormo in in the second round. So obviously in-form player. Um, and then, of course, you've got the likes of Jessie Pagula, who is, is very much in form. Um, Elise Mertens, also another in-form player. So, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, Mugarutha, I forgot to mention her. <laughs> also very in form. I think she's she's got the most wins this season. Like she is the leading, the winningest player. Seed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, looking at that, the, the, uh, that third quarter, I mean, yes, Kenin is there. Yes, Andrescu is there and they're both seeded higher than, than Muguruza, um, and, and Jen Brady really, but you feel like Muguruza is certainly the favorite to come, to come out of that top bit. And Kim, just talking about, uh, you know, players in the draw, I mean, Pegula could face Karolina Pushkova again um, in the third round. I'm sure Pushkova is does is not looking forward to to that prospect. I mean, it's been pretty ruthless from Pegula. She's been in. She's probably been one of the you know most informed players apart from Muguruza on the hard courts. Um, so you know, I'm I'm interested and excited to see how she gets on. Elise Mertens as well. I mean, she's always good for a, a quarterfinal. I think she. Uh, frustratingly for her could come up against Naomi Osaka in the fourth, you know, in the fourth round. So, you know, 
that could be that could be an early test for Osaka. I mean, I don't see a lot of. I mean, looking at Osaka's path, I don't see a lot of tests really. Um, but you know, maybe that Mertens match will be will be her first test. Yeah, I think potentially uh, something might happen with Osaka. I don't know. I've I've not put her in my semi-finals, so I'm not sure. Um, could be Elise Mertens having having her way with her, but also uh, potentially fairly winnable opening rounds for Katie Balsher. She's got Christina Pliskova. Heather Watson's got a qualifier. So, um, yeah, be nice to see them get a few wins under their belt as well. Um, Joel, shall we make some terrible predictions now <laughs> for yes, Miami? Let's, let's do. Let's do. Okay. Right. Let's start with the, let's start with the men. What are you going for? Who are your two semifinals? So, oh, semi-finals. Okay. Uh, very bog standard, I'm afraid. I've just gone with the top four seeds. Uh, Medvedev oh, versus Zverev and Rublev versus Sitsipas. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't argue though. I feel like those are the most formed players. I mean, if they are separate, it, they do feel a little bit separate, don't they, from, from the rest? Yeah, I would have gone for someone else if those four hadn't been in good form. Mm. Um, but because they are, I just kind of feel that, you know, they have been getting, they are quite consistent. I have to say they've been showing their consistency of late. So yeah, hence my, my predictions. What what about you? Um, I have gone Medvedev Dimitrov. For some reason, I think Dimitrov is going to be Zarev. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then my semi-final uh, in the bottom half, I've got Karatsev, who I think is going to beat Rublev again uh, against Sissipas. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I think Dimitrov's been playing all right this season. Um, and I've, I, I think he's he's got it. I think he's got it capable, and um, I think he might spring a surprise on us in Miami. He's also kind of free from pressure, isn't he? Now he's just mm. no one's talking about him. So yeah, I like the sound of that. I can. I'm, I'm down with that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've got Zverev to win against Rublev in the final. So okay, who have you gone for out of that? Medvedev, would you say? I, yeah, mm-hmm. I've got Medvedev. Karatsev in the final um I think it's I think regardless I'm expecting an all Russian final it might it could be Rublev in there I don't know um but um I'm going Medvedev Karatsev Medvedev to win uh I just think he's he's looked very good and um yeah I just think he'll he'll win the tournament we've spoken about the fact that he needs to um you know he is like probably the best hardcore player at the moment and I, I expect him to show that in Miami this is also his first tournament as the world number two, I think. Mm. So, you know, this is new territory for him. Um, I would actually love, I would love Aslan Karatsev to win. I think that would be <laughs> so brilliant. Um, but he'll probably lose in the first round. Now we're sort of oh, massively bigging him yeah. up. I don't know. Um, as for the women, Joel, who have you gone for in your semi-finals? So I have gone Sabalenka versus Kvitova and then Muguruza versus Osaka. Um, I will caveat, I think for some reason, Danielle Collins is going to do well in Miami. I think she's scheduled to face Sabalenka at some point. So um, I think that would be a real test for Sabalenka, but I'm expecting her to come through that. Um, And I think Jessica Pegula as well um, is in really good form at the moment. So I would not be surprised if, if she somehow gets to the the semi-finals, but I'm going to go with my, the two big guns. I'm going to go with Muguruza and Osaka in that second semi. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've gone quite similar. I've gone Sabalenka as well, but I've gone for Iga Svantec, uh mm, to okay. make the semis. And then I've gone for Muguruza as well, but I've gone for Elise Mertens. I, I think, uh, you know, Osaka's the obvious person, but I, I just feel that something weird might happen and Mertens will, will come through. Um, but I've gone for Sabalenka Muguruza in the final Sabalenka to win. I think she's going to re, She's going to get back onto that streak. Although now I come to think of it, I think I predicted her to win one of the tournaments a few weeks ago and obviously she didn't. So <laughs> maybe I'm putting the curse on her. Whoops. <laughs> I mean, I've gone Kvitova Muguruza final and I mean, Kvitova absolutely loves that matchup. So I've gone Kvitova winning it. So yeah, I've, I've got, I've got Muguruza getting her own back on Osaka in the second semi, but uh-huh. I don't think she'll get her own back on Kvitova in the final. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, I'm sort of expecting all the big names, I think, to get to the latter stages of the, the women's tournament. And 
yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not as convinced maybe on the men's side, but certainly, you know, it, it definitely feels like they're all the, the most in form at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And um, I would like to see Muguruza get her reign back against Osaka, actually. After, you know, the Australian Open, she had match points. That would be uh, certainly, I think that would motivate her um, quite well, let's just say. Um, so that's the Miami Open. We'll be obviously um, bringing our catch-up um of everything that's going on in Miami. Um, but before we go today, Joel, um, just an update about Wimbledon, um, because they announced today, well, today, announced last week that um, the way they're doing the tickets this year, if if there will be tickets, um, obviously they don't know uh, what the government guidelines are going to be, if they're going to be allowed to have a crowd. If they are allowed to have a crowd, they've kind of said that they're going to be looking at a capacity of around 30% of, of usual. Um, but tickets are only going to be sold uh, through online ticket sales, which would be in June once once they know if they can have people or not. Um, so there's no queue, um, which probably isn't a surprise to many. Um, the ballot tickets that were held for this year will be deferred till next year, which to me is, is the sensible thing to do, I suppose. Um, and... Well, the other thing was that the players are going to have to stay in uh, set tournament hotels as opposed to what they usually do, which is a lot of them play uh, stay in houses in the local area. So that's going to change quite a bit of the setup for a lot of players, which I think will be quite interesting. I'm surprised by that because obviously we saw, I think, at the US Open last year that they um, they sort of allowed players, I think, like, you know, I think Djokovic and Raonic have homes and, and could go in for that private housing. So, I, you know, I don't know if that might that might change or, or it might not. But, um, yeah, it was good to kind of see, um, you know, Wimbledon, I think, adapting to the kind of the situation and, you know, uh, particularly I think for fans and, and the ticket situation around sort of the fact that it's going to be a ticket master style, um, you know, access to tickets and not, not going to be a ballot kind of this year. I think, uh, you know, fans will kind of look at that and be like, you know, although it's going to be, I imagine, very hard to get to get tickets, um, you know, it's all going to be there very, I think, transparent and very kind of it's going to be there and you're going to be able to try and get them in a way that I think a lot of people will understand, you know, in relation to kind of like the French Open have a similar system, US Open have a similar system as well. So um, I'm glad to kind of see that. And um, yeah, kind of looking, I guess I'm looking forward to it because, you know, we're seeing at the moment, I think, you know, the situation in France is not particularly great and in, in Paris. And I do think that I want, I do wonder what that might have implications on in terms of the, the French Open, but uh I'm really happy kind of Wimbledon is going to be going ahead because we didn't have it last summer and it's, you know, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the cornerstones of the tour. So um, it's it's going to be really good to see it back and with fans in, sorry, fans in attendance. Possibly fans. That's still not 100%, but... Um, oh, fingers crossed. I I do hope you're not too concerned about the veterans double. So because that, <laughs> that has gone by the wayside, know, they have I cut know. that from the schedule. Deeply, deeply infuriated by well, that. Well, I, I used to like seeing a bit of Goran Ivanovic or, you know, John McEnroe, <laughs> whatever, on court 18 on the second week. Yeah, it was quite fun. But um, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I think there'll be an absolute bum fight for online ticket oh, sales. Time. If time. it comes to that, I think we'll be lucky to get anything. But um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a bit of pessimism to end the end the podcast with. Um, I think that brings us to a close, though, doesn't it, Joel? For for today, um, we're going to get off and start watching lots of Miami, and we'll be back with a catch up. Well, in the coming weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, coming back with a catch-up, a midweek probably catch-up or a mid-tournament catch-up for Miami um, because it is starting, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday this week and going all the way through to a week, uh, week Sunday. So we'll be doing a mid-tournament uh, catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that one. Um, but in the meantime, I hope you have enjoyed listening to us um if you want to stay up to date on all things tennis uh with the passing shot make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure to subscribe and if you have been enjoying listening to us on apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment and you can follow us on social media passing shot pod we are on twitter instagram and facebook so if you don't already follow us give us a follow give us a like tell all your friends uh, as well and you can get in contact with us on those platforms or you can send us an email as well passing shot pod at gmail.com
And as I said, we will be back with a mid-tournament catch-up on Miami. So I hope you can join us for that at some point. Not sure when we're going to record it, but uh, we'll let you know on Twitter. And we also have an episode with Marcus Willis as part of our Passing Shot Meets Brewing in the background. We're going to be recording that tomorrow night, hopefully. So watch out for that one as well. So enjoy the Miami Open and we will see you again soon. When they announced, Joel, that there wasn't going to be a queue for this year, I remember you saying that you were happy about that because <laughs> you, you are not a queue fan. You've I never know. queued. Honestly, actually, Kim, that was the best birthday present that I got this this year was the fact that there are is no queue because I do think it's a, a relic of a time gone by. Well, I'd guarantee you there's more chance of getting in with a queue than through, I don't know, <laughs> Ticketmaster, where the site's going to be spinning and crashing left, very, right and centre. Very, very true. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.